Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Clarence Brew Podcast. My name is Dan Rowlinson. I'm joined this afternoon by our stand-in host for the last few weeks, John Townley. If you're new to the podcast over the last couple of weeks and thinking, who's this guy? Uh, I was on paternity leave since the end of January. I've recently had a baby who is four weeks old today. I just said to you, John, before we start, my uh, partner is downstairs with him at the moment. He's awake, so if there's an emergency, I might have to disappear and leave you on your own for a couple of minutes, but I'm fingers crossed everything's fine and he's asleep soon. Um How's it been, John, over the last couple of weeks? I've been very out of the loop with Villa, as you might imagine. I've been very busy with other things. Um, how's it been on the podcast? And, and I don't know, we've obviously lost a couple of games, but how's it been uh, for you? It's been an absolute nightmare. No, I'm um, <laughs> In terms of Villa, obviously, you've, I think you were gone for all three of our recent defeats, I think. Yeah, um, I, I just said, um, our, little, our little boy's... That's the first win today since he's been alive. Um, yeah. He was born before, uh, Southampton was before he was born, and then obviously since Leicester, Arsenal, Man City. So yeah, yeah all, he's, all he's known is Villa defeat, so I'm sure he'll get used to that in later life as well. Uh, but yeah, I'm back now with a win. Good timing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, a, a much-needed win, I suppose. Mm. Like, like three defeats. and it, more, more just relief that we've won a game. I mean... Everton obviously won the last two home games, so it was never going to be an easy one today. But I was just pleased with mainly how we coped with um, what they were, you know, obviously going to put on us long balls, cracking atmosphere. It's a Sean Dyche team. We know what to expect. And, and we got out of it unscathed, and it's a 2 0 win. And I don't really recall them having many chances. I know they had one. Obviously, we'll speak about it. Mings cleared off the line. But mm-hmm. that was a bit of a tricky one when it would come off. Conscious backside. So, um, yeah, really good win. It doesn't really matter how we've done it. And now that's four wins out of five on the road under Emery. And none of them have really been spectacular, but that doesn't matter. Like, we're climbing at the table because of those results. And yeah, today was uh, yeah, more so the result than the performance was um, excellent. Although we weren't going to win this game by playing you know, a brand of football that we haven't played before. It was just going to have to be, you know, matching them for physicality and determination to win the game. And we, when we got the chances, when we got the breaks, we um, made full use of it. So, yeah, excellent win. And the second goal was a nice move, to be fair. That was a, a nice bit of football by us. But, but you're right in terms of having to match them. And I was a little bit worried at, at half-time in particular that we obviously know and are coming back to do this this evening that, oh, this is going to peter out into one of those games that's very scrappy. Possibly got one in Everton written all over it with something going going their way because that's all it takes and, and we know that it is fine margins. But so that little bit of resilience from Villa to, to keep pushing and keep going and once they got the, the opening goal, obviously we'll talk about Watkins in a second, record-breaking Ollie Watkins. I kind of thought, oh, okay, I think we're probably okay now and then the second kills the game and, and that's that. Um, but like you say, much-needed win and, and to bounce back from the, the recent results. I know when, when I was last on, I think, or just after the, the start of the new year, we were looking ahead at that period of fixtures before yeah. Man City and Arsenal going, oh, 14 <laughs> points out of that or <laughs> whatever, and look, making ourselves look stupid. Uh, I thought we'd do better than we did against Leicester. Um, just trying to think what, what, what the timeline would have been. I don't think I saw any of the Man City game. 
Um, I saw some of the Arsenal game, but I don't think I had internet that day. Whatever. I've seen, obviously, highlights and stuff since. But you, you looked at Man City and Arsenal and thought, well, they're going to be difficult games. You know, we'll kind of see what happens, expect expect the worst. But Leicester was one that I thought, you know, that's a game to target. It's a home game as well. Um, and then obviously today as well. But Everton, Sean Dyche, two back-to-back 1-0 wins, I think, at, at Goodison Park for them. And you think that could be enough for them. And, and I was worried that it was, was going to go that way, like I said. But to get over the line in the end, 2-0, clean sheet as well, also very important, which we'll talk about as well just lifts the mood a little bit and now going into an easier run of fixtures over the next couple should be a little bit of a springboard for momentum, you think? Yeah, and I think the main point there, as you say, Dan, with Arsenal and City, you can lose those games and, you know, you're not going to disgrace yourself, but it was mainly the, I don't know, you haven't watched all the games, obviously the viewers have, so it was the 11 goals that we shipped in three games. Mm-hmm. That was the main thing and more so how we conceded them. The, the four goals we conceded against Leicester were all poor errors. Yeah. Um, at least in the build-up to the goals. Against City, we were kind of played off the park in the first uh, half and that's going to happen when you play City, so that was whatever. Against Arsenal, again, it's just four goals you conceding at home. Unnecessary errors again. So then coming into Everton, it, to keep a clean sheet is um, as big as the win in many ways because it kind of it stops that rot of... Because those errors were really seeping in. They kept happening, you know, game after game. So it's say to go to Everton, who aren't free-scoring by any means, but they are a team that... They're going to cause you problems, and there's not many ways of dealing with the problems that they pose. It's ball in the box, and you've got to win your second balls and your first balls. Um, and you know, it's kind of you know, you don't need to be have loads of quality to do that. You know, in in terms of Everton, so for us to hang on to um to the goal that we scored and and keep stay in the game as well in the first half, though, because I say stay in the game, not stay in the game, but to keep um. To, to keep a clean sheet in the first half because they were starting to pepper us a little bit from like the 30th minute towards the uh, 45th. So yeah, mm-hmm. uh, really good win and say so more so the clean sheet was massive because of what happened in the last three games. Like if, if we lost those games 1-0 and we played, because we played well for the most mm-hmm. part against City and Arsenal. Yeah, against but, Arsenal played all right, yeah. Yeah, but it was the goals that we conceded and then that's always going to be an issue going into any game. If you concede in more than once and concede in twice, you're always asking a lot of your forwards then. So um. Yeah, really good to keep it. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> over those couple of games as well, scoring a couple of goals against Leicester and a couple against Arsenal, and that not being enough to, to at least get a point out of games. Emery will be fuming with stuff like that. If you're score, scoring a couple of goals, you should be winning, never mind losing games 4 right. 2. Um, was the Mings clearance in the first half today? Again, my timelines on things is all over the place. I, mean, I barely even know what day it is. It was at 0 0 still. It was 0 0 at that point. Was, we, were, we were shooting that way, so and it happened. <laughs> Yeah, in my head. Anyway, it was in the second half. Yeah, yeah it was still, still nil-nil though. What I mean is how important is that moment? We've talked about these kind of things before. Ashley Young off the line against somebody a few games ago. I can't remember who. And there was another period at some point this season. Oh, this is terrible. When we spoke about that Ashley Young one off the line, we said, oh, that was like this other game when something happened. <laughs> <laughs> and today, it's like Tara Mings, that little thing at nil-nil. That's like yeah. the springboard for the rest of the game to go, right, we've had a little bit, a little bit of a scare at the back. Let's be on it now and go on and get get three points. I should do some research really before I've come back. But everyone watching will know that on a couple of occasions this season we've had a, had a clearance off the line and then go on to to get Spurs. That happened again today. Yeah, yeah, and um, I thought Mings was really good anyway. Just doing a bit of digging yeah. in stats. Um, he won all of his aerial duels. He won all eight of his duels in the air. Which, to be fair, I think he was playing against Malpe and then. Uh, 
uh, Ellis Sims. So, you know, but to still win all of your aerial duels, win all eight of them is really good. And obviously that comes into set pieces as well. So he did his job perfectly. Mm. Um, won all of his ground duels as well. So he's won all of his tackles and all of his headers in the game. So there's not much more that you can want from Mings. And obviously he's cleared it off the line too. Um, and it's not the first time that he's done that in a game where he's won all of his duels and competed really well. But then in two games' time, uh, he might be susceptible to an error or something. And that's the sort of thing that we've got to kind of get out of his game. But whilst he plays a good game, we have to sort of champion that. Thing. Um, mm. So, yeah, Mings is right up there for me for one of the, um, you know, for, for a man of the match claim. But I think McGinn was my man of the match. Um, well, that leads on nicely to, to the point that it's almost the three scapegoats, I guess, of, of recent times Mings, Watkins, and McGinn. Probably the three most, I mean, begin today anyway, but Mings and Watkins have, have kind of shut those critics up over the last couple of weeks, couple of months. Uh, John McGinn, yeah, definitely a, a shout for Mayor of the Match today. It's technically two assists, and he's won the penalty as well, and then played Brendan. I don't know, I can assist for winning a penalty, but uh, again, it is what it is. The two assists for McGinn uh, seem to be everywhere on the pitch. Kind of yeah. McGinn of old, that's the, that's the McGinn I want to see. I, I feel like I've not seen that John McGinn for four seasons three seasons to, yeah, to be harsh I want to see that more consistently to have to have him in that side and that be that roaming midfielder that's that's everywhere and Ollie Watkins as well the player that again probably last time I was on the podcast we've we've criticized him and, and rightly so at times that he's not a good finisher and he'll need five chances before he scores one but to score five goals in the Premier League in five consecutive consecutive games an achievement that no Villa player ever has done before in what 30 years of the Premier League some good players in that time, so to do that consistently, <laughs> slightly annoying. And I bet I don't. I wouldn't did wonder actually before we started this how much somebody like Ollie Watkins would care about a record like that when three of those five goals came in defeats because they were meaningless goals. But Southampton mm. today, technically winning goals, aren't they? I, I suppose with Brendier got the second, so for two of them to be winners, that's some achievement to, to score five goals in five consecutive games. And you think, oh, how many more can he do? Is it six and six, seven and seven? 11 is, the, 11 is the record with Jamie Vardy, so only a few more games to go, Ollie, for that. Yeah, to be fair, that proves how good <laughs> how good Vardy was like, in that season. <laughs> yeah, like, he's done it more than double the games. Um, yeah, really good from Watkins. Um, I think we all probably thought he'd probably pop up, pop up with a goal today just to break that record. It was sort of... Um, yeah, there's sort of no of chance game. he wasn't taking that penalty when we won that. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, Emery said before the game that he's an example for all of his teammates, the way he's adapted, the way he works, how how he's committed himself to what Emery wants. And yeah, I mean, previously, we all know that Watkins isn't a, you know, a natural goal scorer, should we say? I mean, coming through as a, a youth player, he was a winger, as we all know, and then was moved as a striker. And uh, uh, was it Thomas Frank with Brentford, I think it was? Exactly. And then obviously Smith signed him just a year later, scored 14 goals with the help of Jack Grealish next to him. And then he's played under Steven Gerrard as a one-man striker with wings either side. And it hasn't worked. hasn't worked for players like McGinn. It's just not... It, I always felt like we were trying to put players into a system that it, it was never going to work. Um, and now we've got Emery. Obviously, Emery's used the system that he's using most recently at Villarreal. But it's also working a lot for players like McGinn who can um, go forward without having to look over his shoulder, cover his right back. Um and then for Watkins as well, who clearly benefits right from... back, as he was doing yeah. under Steven Gerrard. Yeah, and Watkins clearly benefits from playing with a partner or with at least players around him. Like, you know, it, when he's in positions, he's got a Jacob Ramsey on his left, he's got a Bailey or whoever on his right, and he's got other players. McGinn coming in um, from the channel, as he did a few times today as well. So there's always options there, and I've said it so many times, Watkins is 
literally statistically at least two years ago he was the best presser um in the final third in any any uh for any team across europe's top five leagues so we know we know what he brings and that's invaluable to any team it was just that you couldn't quite ask him to score 14 goals every season um because as i say he did that once and struggled to do it after then but now he's doesn't have that burden he's, there's more chance of creation happening around him as well there's more players coming in uh to to help him, I suppose. And he said that in his uh, post-match interview as well. He said that he needs players around him and he you know, sort of thanks his teammates for supplying the chances because he'll continue to get goals because he's so confident right now when he was lacking that before. Now he doesn't feel like he's the only person who has to score two goals a game to win Villa the match. Um, so, yeah, really, uh, really proud of him. And it is a really good record to score five goals uh, in each game, sorry, across five games. Is um yeah really good achievement for Ollie and hopefully he can how many goals is that for the season now is it eight I think he's eight got now yeah so we'll crack double figures I maybe I think that must be the target to get fourteen I don't know if he'd be able to beat that because we haven't got obviously too many games left of the season but yeah. the way he's going you, your confidence is going through him and as I say there's so many options around him he's always going to have chances in a game so yeah really um really uh, good moment for him. Yeah, as much as I mentioned those that, that three of them weren't, you know, were goals in defeats. That five game, that five game run is Man City and Arsenal as well. So to at least be in the, in and around scoring goals in those games is is a positive, I guess. Um, Crystal Palace next. You know, you kind of when the players in this form, you kind of look at the fixture and go, well, I think he'll score there. West Ham, yeah, he could score there. Bournemouth, yeah, maybe he'll get eight and eight. Um, my point here, though, bringing this up really is what's happened to him. I've been away for a few weeks and there was one point where everyone's slagging him off and going, oh, we need to sell him in January. And now it's like, he's got this record, he, everyone, he's on form, he's fitting in the in the system well. Is it just that Dan Ings is gone and he's the main man now? Because when Dan Ings was still here, he was top goal scorer with six, Watkins had three. And you'd be thinking, well, if, if Watkins gets to double figures this season, that's probably quite the achievement with where he was. Fast forward five, six, seven games and he's now sat on eight with, what, how many games to go? Off the top of my head. Uh 12, 14, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, to get another six, seven, it's not impossible if he's scoring one every 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 couple of games. So if he can get 10, 12, like you say, 14 goals, to be on three in January, that's some second half of the season and hopefully that propels Villa uh, up the league as well. Yeah, um, I think probably the main change. I mean, Danny Ings probably has partially contributed to that. I don't know whether that's just come at the right time in terms of, obviously, we had um, two games before the World Cup break and then a couple and then Ings leaves, then Watkins starts to sort of fill his boots with goals. I just wonder if he's just adapted well to Emery's system. I don't know. I mean, mm. again, the system works for him. It works for McGinn and potentially, yeah, Ings leaving is sort of not put a pressure on him to score goals, but also... He knows he's the main man now, so he wants to sort of deliver. He wants to prove that he can do it. Um, a couple of comments here from Kelvin yes. being the main man clearly boosts his confidence. And Joshua, the burden's on him now, so he has to deliver. That's what's made the difference, I think. But yeah, that goes two ways, doesn't it? It's, oh my God, that's old Danny Ings. I've only scored three goals this season. I'm under pressure now. So to come out fighting and score another five in five, or five in seven, or what it would have been since, since Ings has left, that is the confidence building and he had that shot, didn't he, from either just on the edge of the area or just outside where you think, oh, Ollie Watkins doesn't normally do things like that. That's a man in form who thinks, I'm going to try my luck here. And we need a bit more of that kind of initiative to to create something out of nothing. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And in that season that he got 14 goals, he would go uh, four games without scoring. Then he'd hit three in three games and go again five without scoring. It'd be quite patchy. Mm. So let's not kid ourselves. I don't think he's going to score You know, for another five games straight. He might go three without scoring. But as long as we can get that Ollie Watkins that then turns himself and scores another four goals, you know, it doesn't matter how, when or how you score your goals. As long as you get them over the course of the season, that will, that's, what's, that's what will propel Villa up the division. And say in the summer, we're clearly going to be looking at a striker or at least a player who can play alongside Watkins. If he can also sort of shoulder that uh, burden without sort of taking anything away from Watkins' game, because I think it's so important to us at the moment, uh, Watkins, especially in Emery's system, if you can add more quality around him, because obviously Bailey's quite inconsistent at the moment, hmm. you take him off and then you bring on Buendir, who isn't going to, partner Watkins next season um, in that sort of front-man partnership. If you can add real quality next to him, I think that'll only improve us still. And that's quite a formidable front line when you've got someone who, again, Watkins gives us so much off the ball and he can clearly finish as well and score his goals, but then add some more quality. And then you've got your Buendiz, Coutinho. I know he's injured at the moment, but he's shown that he can still play at a good level under Emery. Uh, Jacob Ramsey, who I thought was excellent today. John McGinn, who was good as well. Bailey, you can perform um, if you can get his consistency back. And yeah, it's looking really positive. And I'm just glad that Ollie can, he has proved himself as the player that we all thought that he could be, but he was lacking some ink when he under Gerard. And I don't mm. think that was his fault. Yeah. Confidence as well. It's a massive, massive thing, isn't it, for strikers? If you scored a couple of goals and think, I fancy myself, you're more likely to score. It's really as simple as that. Um, you mentioned there about signing a striker in the summer. John Duran, Andy says, maybe pushing him in training as well. Now, I'll admit, I've seen very little of John Duran. I know he's not played massive amounts of us anyway. Uh, what have you seen from him and going forward? Is Watkins Duran uh, a partnership, do you think? Yeah, you've missed out on Duran, Dan. Seriously. Oh, like, I, mean, I feel like I have to be honest. Lots of compilations of him. He's, he looks really good. Um, I'm really excited oh, by so it. So did Alexander Tonov, mate. I'm bored with compilations. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is different. Um, me and Ash were speaking about him in the uh, pre-match show and yeah, he's, he's been really... He didn't come on today unless I missed that. No. On. Um, but yeah, Durant's been really good. Again, yeah, for sure he's pushing him in training but I do think Emery's said it a few times that uh, he's not really ready to start games and Watkins, I don't think he would be replaced for Durant but in the future, a Durant and Watkins partnership will certainly work and it worked against Man City. Uh, for the 20 minutes or half an hour that they had together, they, we won that game 1-0 after Duran came on. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that's definitely something for the future and Duran's a really good player and really excited to see how he uh, turns out. But for the here and now, yeah, just delighted for Watkins to so prove himself and sort of silence a couple of critics because I say that a lot of people were getting on his back, but you can't look away from this is what he gives us. And yes, he's out of confidence right now, but once he starts to bring that back, it's not something that you can take for granted. And yeah, I'm, for sure... I think every Premier League club would want a player like Ollie Watkins because of what he gives you. And we're lucky, say lucky to have him. Dean Smith did a did a good deal to get him. But um, yeah, really pleased for him and hopefully many more goals to come and from this season and beyond. Let's talk about Brendy's impact then and Emery's subs. At half-time, I was thinking, oh, I probably would have changed something at half-time, to be honest, because it's not quite clicking and we need something a, a, a bit fresh, perhaps. Mm. Not a massive fan of Leon Bailey, to be honest. I, 
I see, I see sometimes I think, oh, yeah, there's a good player in there. And I see too many other times where I just think, oh, he's just not offering enough. Let's, let's make a change. Has Troy Roy played it at all, by the way, since coming back? No. No. Again, maybe he's worth a go if he's, if he's fit. But when Deer comes on, absolutely love scoring against Everton. I think that's scored, scored in the last three. Our record against Everton is also very good since promotion. Uh, that's eight unbeaten now since promotion in 2019. I think we've won the last three. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's right. Um, but yeah, Buendia's impact, I think, did, has he start, did he start something like the last 10 or 12 in a row? Probably every game under Emery. And then today was the first or the second time that he's been off the bench, commentators maybe said. Um, but he's still got an important role to play, is, is my point here. Even if he doesn't start as, as consistently as he was, he's come off the bench against an opposition he's clearly clearly fond of and scores scores the game that, that puts the, the scores the goal that puts the game to bed. And Emery yeah. is still an important player for us. Yeah, really good finish as well. Kind of at the point where McGinn sort of cuts in inside the pitch, and you're thinking, "Oh shoot!" And then he gives it to Buendia. The kind of the ball sort of slows down, and you're thinking, "Oh, we're gonna have to redo this." And then a quick little move on to his left and slams it past Pickford. So he knew exactly what he wanted to do with that Buendia, which is again sign sign of a confident player. Mm. Um, yeah, really good impact. Um, he scored his goal. He's done his job. I didn't really see too much of him apart from that, but that's not criticism at all. Uh, yeah, again, I think someone mentioned in the comments, maybe unfortunate not to start. And mm. I think that's probably right because, again, Bailey's just... This is his, his, uh, his flaw, Bailey. is just not consistent enough. And I think Emery said before the game, he's not too sure on where his sort of best position is at the moment. And he's started pretty much most of the games or eight or at least well now nine of his first 11 games I think Bailey and it's always in the same position in the same role next to Watkins so he's not really trialing anything with Bailey he seems to just be a marker and okay let's play him alongside Watkins because he's I know it's more detailed than this but because he's quick and we might get something on the break and he's skillful he can you know change a game at some points because he has done that under Emery he hasn't been um, you know off the boil completely I do think he's played well at, at times but now it's, yeah, he's got to step up because other players are going to be taking a shirt. And in the summer, that's going to be a whole lot harder because we're going to yeah. be recruiting again and pushing again for top seven with Emery and a transfer budget, which he will use to buy his own players. And Bailey doesn't quite fit into that at the moment. And I've said before, though, you, to improve your team, you have to improve your 11 and not. And to do that, that improves your bench because then a Bailey might drop out and he can come mm-hmm. into the game. And, but at the same time, a Buendia makes an impact off the bench when Bailey hasn't really done that. He's neither here or there making it off the bench or starting, whereas Buendia has made an impact starting and coming off the bench as well. I like him coming off the bench because he's so tenacious and he gets stuck in and it's you know, a fresh pair of legs, it's energy, it's, it's what you need at certain points in the game. It was the same when we played Everton at the start of the season, wasn't it? He come on and scores a goal and scored a goal, sorry. Uh, and then Everton get one back and it was kind of hanging on for dear life. Luckily, we didn't concede today, but it was a very similar sort of... Uh, yeah game I suppose yeah no. good impact no. from Buendia but yeah Bailey's a bit of an issue I think uh, at the moment he needs to show something before the end of the season else I don't know quite where he uh, fits in yeah I was just trying to quickly compare Leon Bailey's stats with Henry Buendia's this season but I couldn't find it quick enough but just with the the eye test and trying to think back I feel like Buendia even if his numbers don't suggest it in terms of goals and assists only I feel like Buendia offers more to the side than Bailey does is that a, a fair kind of a, a fair assessment without actually knowing the figures? Let me have a look. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, in terms of output, Bailey's output's hardly much better. He's only scored two goals under Emery. Um, I mean, good finishes, I think. They were against, uh, was it Leeds and United, I think? 
Um, yeah, it's good against Man City as well when we had Gerard. Uh, and Buendia's hardly posting you know great figures either, but I think he's been more uh, consistent in terms of output in, in the last four or five games than what Bailey has. But they're two mm. very different players, so it's hard yeah. to kind of... But they are both playing that almost like second strike and number 10 role. But they yeah. obviously it's different opponents in different parts of the game. And you could put it another way and say, if Buendia starts today and he's not seeing much of the ball or we can't quite get him into the game, you'd then make a sub, wouldn't you, on about the 70th minute mm. to bring him off. Then you bring Bailey on. He might not have had the impact that Buendia had coming off the bench. So I think that's the sort of you know thing you got to toss up. And I think Duran would have come on instead of Buendia, probably, yeah. if he wasn't... Uh, sorry, instead of Bailey. So... Yeah, I think Wendy coming off the bench gives you a lot, and I don't think it's like disrespect to not start him. It just didn't suit the game up from the off today in Unai Emery's eyes, and you know that that's worked. He's come off the bench and we've scored two goals. Uh, he's scored one, and we've come away with a two-nil win. So yeah, and it's another message to the manager, I suppose. Wendy obviously wants to play as much as he uh, can, um, but yeah, he needs to keep keep performing, keep getting in amongst the goals because he hasn't done that really since he joined Villa, and mm. it's now. This is a really crucial part, I think, in Buendia's Villa career because up until now, was obviously a record signing. But up until now, he hasn't had a sort of five-match run in the team where he's consistently delivering. He's had, obviously, a lot of starts under Emery. But, you know, it's, again, neither here nor there. He's he's playing well, but then not really getting much from it. So now if he can really start delivering until the end of the season, again, it's a message to the manager to say, you know, I want this position and you don't need to spend... 40 million quid on a new winger or whatever it may mm. be. You know, I can deliver for you. Um, just have a look at the stats. Um, Bailey, four goals, two assists. Just on those stats, I won't look any further. Uh, Wendia, four goals, no assists, which I don't know why. I feel like I should have known that, but it feels surprising that a player that you think of as like this diminutive little number 10 creative playmaker has got zero assists all season. Like that, that looks bad, but just in my mind, if I had to pick two to what do they offer to the side and the, and the unit going forward, I know Bailey's got the pace, but I'd always just pick Wendy because I think he just brings something more, a bit of an edge. I think so. And again, when he was at Norwich, he got, so many goal contributions. It was like 17 assists, 17 goals. That's in, mm. inaccurate to that, but it was something along, that, along those lines. So we know he can post good numbers. I know it was in the Championship, but you can always replicate in the Premier League. And we know his Premier League quality, but he just hasn't been given that output that we need from him. So again, hopefully yeah. under Emery, it's a, a chance for him to do that. And while Bailey isn't quite taking his chance at the moment, Wendy's shown, at least in the last couple of games, that he can yeah step up. Uh, I just want to move away from Everton a little bit. There's just some like, comments about like team selection and stuff, and we did a like a predicted eleven post yesterday. That Ash picked and no Coutinho, Bailey, uh, Buendia started, and uh, Cash is what Ash put. And all the comments were like, Young should be in this game for his experience. Bailey's in there for pace. How can you be dropping Coutinho, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Obviously, Coutinho was left out today through injury. If he was a fit and available, I don't know how how the system would have changed. It's a comment there that sparked this idea that Richard said that Cash did well against McNeil and John said that Cash had his best game under Emery. So him being back involved and looking good rather than young there is an interesting kind of another option. Starting Bailey, not massively sure, but then Buendia comes off the bench. Now he becomes an option as well. And obviously that Coutinho conundrum that starts to find a little bit of form and then gets injured for, for, for a month or so, again, disappointing. The one thing that I feel like I'm kind of out the loop on, and maybe this is that I've almost forgot what it was like before I, I went away, or whether it's only just happened in the last couple of games. The Martinez time wasting, 77 minutes, I've noted down here on the side. 
Uh, Ash and other people, Greg Evans and a few different journalists tweeted, like live tweeting through the game, or live blogs and stuff. Martinez, yellow card, time wasting, 77 minutes, long way to go, whatever. And all the replies were like, oh my God, as usual, typical Martinez. Like they were, they were really annoyed with him. And almost like that people had turned on Martinez a little bit because of this time wasting thing and saying, oh, it's fair enough in 90 minutes, 95 minutes. Why is he doing it this early? He's going to get himself suspended, blah, blah, blah. Thinks he's got this big ego. And I feel like I've disappeared. I've only been gone three weeks, but I've come back and like, it's almost like there's a load of people against Martinez. Now, I know there's some comments from memory after the Arsenal game because of what he did going up for the corner against instructions. He's had the, the own goal, which bounced off his head. That's not his fault. It's just bad luck. But in the same game, he then goes walkabouts for for an attacking corner and they start in another goal. But losing 3-2 anyway, you're either going to... He scores a goal and you draw 3-3 or you lose 4-2. Like, again, not a massive deal, but defies the manager's instructions. I get that. Yeah. The time-wasting thing... At one point, we we're all going, oh, we like him for that. We like that he winds up the opposition, like Martinez minutes at the end of the game, because that's what he does. But I suppose if he's doing it on 77 and before, because to get the yellow card in 77, he started earlier than that. Now people seem to be going, well, I don't like Martinez for that. So have I gone, gone fallen off into a new planet over the last few weeks? Or has that been the case throughout the whole season? Because it feels like that's a new thing to me, that now people are like against Martinez a little bit. Yeah, I think it's a new thing. I remember when we were speaking after the Brighton game and we were disgusting for the last 20 minutes time wasting. <laughs> you got us the win and we were happy about it. Um, disgusting for the last 45. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't really care. Like, If that's what's going to buy us time to be organised and limit Everton's chances of scoring, then go for it. I think what the main sort of point was that Emery was trying to make after Arsenal was, I think he, he mentioned something that he was almost time wasting too much. He didn't really give the reason why that was, you know, a bad thing at two all, but I suppose after the event, when you've lost the game, it's something to kind of say, I don't know. And I think that's probably maybe some fans probably feel the same in terms of, oh, we're time wasting too much. And it's a bit sort of, I'm not too sure to be honest, in my opinion, with Everton, so they weren't really peppering us, were they? But they were still on top. They're still going to have the ball and they were still trying to load the box with uh, crosses. It just gets us organised. Um, sorry, Martinez taking a bit longer with the ball is going to move us up the pitch, say more organised and we can just take a breather because... You know, we all love it when a striker wins a, a foul in in the in the opposite corner, and everyone can rest for thirty seconds. If Martinez can take a little extra on a goal kick and take a yellow card for the course, then I don't really see what what the sort of big issue is. Um, obviously, if he was close to ten bookings or something, then that would be a problem. But I don't think he yeah. is, which I no, thought that, he was. That, that was do, number but... six today, I think, or number five. Yeah, so he's got well, not too too much to go. But you would have thought he would have had about eleven bookings by now by the time. Mm you know the amount of time he does do it but I don't mind it like in away games you need to get those um little wins of wasting time every now and again in its gamesmanship and I think if we weren't doing it and and we got caught out then we'd be saying why don't we do it we need to be more nasty we need to be mm, you know exactly. this and that's what Martinez brings I, I don't see the issue in it at all and I get why Emery was a bit frustrated with it last week because it was more of a case of you're at home did we need to do it Arsenal were um not necessarily there for the taking but it was hardly a you know, an onslaught and we mm. could have got at the end of it. John Duran had a good chance, Bailey had a good chance. So it wasn't as if we were 
are hanging on for dear life against Arsenal. Um, but against Everton, when you're 1-0 up, again, you're not hanging on for dear life, but you are trying to win the game. So I don't really see the issue with it myself. And yeah, I, I don't know. There's been, there's been a bit of a riff with Martinez for some reason with fans recently. I think maybe after the comments he mentioned about the Champions League, wanting to be in the Champions League. I don't know if you've seen those, Dan. I've just that seen was... a comment. For, I've, I've seen it on Twitter while I was scrolling during a, a baby nap or something. I remember I didn't watch the interview. I didn't read the quotes. I just saw people's reaction to it saying... Uh, this comment here from Dom you start coming out with I want to play Champions League football after Villa have made you the player you are the fans may start turning is that really a shocking headline or a shocking quote from a player who's just won the World Cup that he wants to play in the Champions League I mean yeah it's, really like, yeah, it's an obvious thing I think again I suppose doing the interview you're always going to get questions so maybe just don't do the interview in the first place but the point is that Martin as we know he's committed to the club and he's not going to be kicking up a fuss if he doesn't get a transfer in the summer um, he'll most likely remain with Villa unless we get stupid money uh, in terms of an offer. Mm. But yeah, he's won the World Cup. Villa are not going to be playing the Champions League anytime soon. Probably not, at least in two years or three years. No, that's and the stark reality of where we are as a club. We yeah. want to be up here competing in Europe, but we're basically a million miles away from it. Any ambitious player that we sign and play good money for and is almost... I don't want to say above Aston Villa because I don't want to downplay us because we all support Villa. We think they're the best club in the world, etc., etc. If you sign a player like Bubakar Kamara, Amy Martinez, people like that that are could have been courted by top six sides, but they've come to Villa who are a step below that at the moment. At some point, you as fans and as players and coaching staff and managers and head of recruitment and whoever is involved at the club in signings like that are going to have to have something in the back of their mind to think, if we don't match their ambitions at some point, they're going to want to leave to bigger and better things and play at the top level for Real Madrid or Man United or whoever. I've got no problem with that because that's football and we understand how it works. Yeah. If we're not at that point, we don't deserve to hold on to these players who are above Aston Villa because they'd be wanting too much money, they're down tools, get rid. The ideal situation is that Villa keep improving and, and the players think, Martinez might be going, I want to play in the Champions League. If Villa get into the Europa League next year, that should be enough for a player who's got his head switched on to think, okay, something's happening here. I'll stay with Villa and next season might be Champions League or the season after might be Champions League. If we finish 15th this year and go out of both cups early and next year looks like a terrible start as well, you might be thinking in January, right, I'm going to get on my agent because I need to get out of here because this club aren't going at the same speed that I want to go to. I don't think this is breaking news to fans anywhere that player wants to be ambitious and if the club doesn't match that, it's time to move on. Football is yeah. a ruthless business and you have to detach the fan element away from that a little bit, I think. I'm not, yeah. not saying at any point here that I want to get rid of Amy Martinez or cash in on him. I want him to stay here forever and sign a lifetime contract. Yeah. But that's football, isn't it? Yeah, and if we're if our sort of main ambitions over the next three years, the main things that we hit is just to get top 10 or kind of just finish mid-table, Amy Martinez will be 33 by the time that you know in three years time or whatever and he's already wasted like 10 years of his career but any player like you can't just lock top players into your club because then how are we supposed to attract them afterwards because they'll just yeah. think well there's no they'll say no way out because we're Aston Villa and we are big enough to you know get where we want to get to but if we don't those players have only got one one career you know so like Bibacar Kamara is the best example He's coming to Villa hoping that we're going to be in Europe in three years' time and he will stay if we get there. If we don't and he's, he develops as we think he will, he probably won't be with us and that's fine because yeah. it's a good investment and, and then we use that money to get someone else who... with the next, It's all about building and as, as long as the club's going towards the goal that he needs to get to, it doesn't matter. Players come and go and Martinez will want to stay 
as long as we're progressing and that's the sort of simple facts about it whatever he says in the media and it doesn't doesn't change what nasa swiris does <laughs> in terms of accepting oh, yeah. or an offer so yeah, and it would have to be silly money. I don't know whether you've spoken about this kind of stuff on the podcast before, by the way. Apologies for being a, a terrible fan. I haven't listened to any of the ones that, that you've done. Um, but I imagine, obviously, these comments aren't new, so you might have spoken about it before, so let's not kind of dig up old ground too much. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention, really, is about the away form, and, and this is a quote from, from Emery that Ash asked. This is Ash tweeted this. I asked him, Unai Emery, if he'll kick back and celebrate tonight, perhaps with a well-earned glass of red. His response... Maybe my family and friends can celebrate, but we need to prepare for the next match against Crystal Palace. We aren't playing in the same competitive way at home. Why is that? That would have been my follow-up question if I was allowed a follow-up question. Why aren't we as competitive at home? Why have we won four out of five on the road under an IMRI and the only one that we lost was Manchester City, which, again, that's you know no, that's no shame in that. Why can't we play the same way of football home and away? Is it the crowd? Is it the, the expectations of playing at home? Is it more pressure? Why is that? Do you have any opinion of that? I think it's mainly how we set up, to be honest. You, you can get players on the pitch playing away from home in the, in the system that we're playing to be compact and to be tight and to nick wins. I say nick wins in terms of score goals, yeah, but also you know make use of those goals. Don't then concede straight away or whatever it may be. We've won, so four out of five. City, you know, I said it doesn't matter, but that's a complete write-off in some ways. Almost every season, anyone can get blown away by City or Arsenal at the moment, I suppose. Um, but yeah, the wins that we've had are all all very similar. Again, we're not necessarily playing free-flowing football throughout 90 minutes, but we have moments of quality, like against Brighton, that little move uh, that's normally given with a penalty, I think it was. And then today, uh, the second goal was a really nice move against Tottenham, really nice move that I think it was McGinn to Louise. So yeah, it's moments of quality that we know we've got in us, but it's how do you translate that into into um, home form when we're more on the front foot, but then going the other way, we are left a bit more exposed. And to be honest, in recent weeks, it's just mistakes that's cost us. Like the Leicester game, was, it still annoys me, obviously, because of the manner of how we shipped those four goals. Um, Arsenal as well, the two goals at the end were complete flukes. Arsenal's second goal, we've completely switched off from a set piece, which is really frustrating. Mm. So, yeah, the main point is that we need to stop silly mistakes and I don't think that's down to anything in terms of crowd or because we're at home or whatever it may be I think that's just play switching off for whatever reason and away from home you probably are a bit more clued up in terms of I don't know being more defensively aware I don't know if that would quite makes sense but we're more compact there's more players around we know that we have to hold on to a, a clean sheet to get anything from the game in terms of winning it um, but at home we probably feel more you know uh, I don't know more it's just like a mentality thing that you're at home and it's comfortable and you know the environment you know the people you know the dressing room you think oh it's just a, you feel more relaxed on a match day at home so you're more prone to errors or mistakes whereas away it's like okay we're all in this together we're away we're going to their patch we're we're the, we're the villain essentially um so we're going to stick together and be focused and maybe that's just a simple psychology mentality thing I think that's probably, again, it's quite simple, but it's probably part of it. There's something in that, I think, because away from home, you say we are so compact and we are, you know, the way that Emery sets us up is brilliant. You know, he's a world-class coach and our away form is proof of that because mm. we've gone to Brighton and done it, Spurs and done it, Everton. They're all very different games as well. Southampton, yeah. uh, after they were in a bit of run, I think they had a bit of form coming into that game. They beat City and Everton, if yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Everton have obviously won both of their home games 1-0 under a new manager. The place is rocking. And then Brighton's a very different game because they're very good, very technical. Spurs, again, 
the team that's going for top four and we've beat them all. Uh, got two clean sheets in that as well. So, yeah, it's not like a fluke, but the home form is clearly a concern. That's something that we do need to improve on. Yeah. But what I would say is, and this probably sounds a bit weird, but going into next season, it's it's good to know that we can do it away from home because that shouldn't necessarily change, really, because Emery is setting, setting us up like that. We're not winning four out of five games away from home through, I don't know, lucky goals or mm. opponents missing big chances or whatever it may be. We deserve to be winning those games and we and we are. So going into next season, the home form seems more fixable, if that makes sense. Like if we were getting battered on the road every week, but we were grinding out a couple of home wins, that would be more of a concern than what this is. You know, I'd rather be winning away from home and going into next year with the full preseason of Emory and everything else that comes with it. Going into then knowing we can do the away stuff because we've done it last season, this season. Mm. But then the home form obviously needs to improve. But I don't doubt that we'll be able to do that. I don't think you can have such a good away record and then struggle at home so much. And that's going to continue. I think it's a matter of time before we sort of turn that corner. But the main point is just consistency. We said it at the start of the year. We need to find that if we're going to get anywhere as a football club over the next however many years. Yeah, totally agree. Let's um, wrap up then with looking at March because there's two home fixtures in it. Uh, Saturday the 4th of March at home to Crystal Palace, 12th of March away at West Ham and the 18th of March, all Saturdays, uh, Bournemouth at Villa Park. That's a two, three o'clock kickoffs as well, which is certainly a rarity. Um, Again, we do these things all the time. We look ahead to five fixtures, 10 fixtures, whatever it is, and we say, oh yeah, 50 points and let's let's, let's ride up the table. Let's just not do it. (laughs) Ah, Let's do it. Let's just do it. Uh, Palace, West Ham, Bournemouth, Again, you look at them and think there's nine points there to, to take. Two of them are at home. I know the form's not great, but you're still back Villa because they're the home side. Maybe that brings some of the pressure that this causing us to slip up at home. But you've got to be getting yeah. at least, in my eyes, if you want to keep pushing and getting to the top half at last. Again, I can't believe I've come back after three weeks and we're still eleventh. We've still not managed. To, I know we've lost. I know we've lost three. I know we've lost three out of four games, but we've still not managed to creep up into the top half, even with a win today. It's so frustrating. If we want to get into that top half and above, you've got to be getting at least six points out of those three. Ideally, two of the home ones because that's how it usually goes: win at home, lose away. The way Villa go, we'll win the away one and struggle at home. So at least six for me, seven. Obviously, nine, but any less than six, I'd be disappointed with with those three fixtures there in March. Nice yeah. week apart as well. No other distractions. Plenty of rest. Come on. I think. Taking, are you meant? Is that just the next three games? We're not mentioning Chelsea after, that, are we? No, that's just the next three. That's March as a total. There must be an international break at the end of March, maybe because there's a no. Saturday eighteenth to the Saturday the first. Is there some oh, break for something? That's a, that's a yeah. break, isn't it? That's rubbish. Cup fixtures, um, maybe. No, it's too late, surely. Uh, I think I'd be disappointed with anything less than seven because if you take each game as singular at West Ham, would you be, I say, would you be pleased to lose? But would you be frustrated not to win? No, I don't know. I'd probably nick a, take a point, I suppose. You know, you West Ham was 16th on 23 yeah. points and they got three of those points today with Danny really, scoring yeah. twice. And Bournemouth yeah. are 19th. Like, but if you can I'll, win your our next four, sorry, next three home games at Palace at home, you want to win that. Bournemouth at home, you want to win that. And then Forest at home. Forest have scored like three goals away from home all season. They're rubbish on the road. So we should be winning all three of those games. You know, we should. So if you if you did get a draw against West Ham, who, you know, she's won 4-0 today, that's not a, it's not a bad point. Again, it depends on the complexion of the game. If we've battered them and not won, it obviously feels frustrating. But if you can win those three home games, that's nine points. And then you can, I don't know, Let's see what we can do against West Ham, and I know we've got Chelsea in there as well, away, which isn't as yeah, bad as you, you can get at Chelsea. 
Yeah, so it's a good run of games. Not, I mean, again, it's, was, I'm, no, I was looking at the next team. I'm looking at the three after that going, we can get at Chelsea. We know Leicester won. And that's the Forest. Premier League. That's yeah. the Premier League. And, but that's why I'm saying seven points wouldn't be yeah, the end of the world because, again, a West Ham, yeah, we want to win against them. But if we don't, you know, we might have won against Palace and, you know, we'd like to think we'd beat Bournemouth at home. So overall, if you're taking the next five games, whatever it may be, if you can just hit a good points total after all of them, because uh, we know we're not going to win every game. It's just, it doesn't happen to say, we looked at that run of games when it was like Stevenage, Wolves, Leicester and other teams, Southampton, and we were saying, oh, we should probably win all of those. And <laughs> we didn't. Well, didn't so, it? <laughs> wrong. Um, so yeah, I think let's aim for seven points over the next three games. Can we win our next three home games? That was my main thing. Cause we really need to get that home form right. And yeah, yeah. that's it. Uh, that would be a good, um, a good month, hopefully. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we'll call it a day there. I think we'll um, ramp back up into this into the swing of things from next week. I did come back to work this week. Obviously, this is the first match day show that I've done. I don't know what we'll do in terms of content going forward. I've got a, a planning meeting with Matt Kendrick, so I don't know what what will come from that. Uh, but we do want to kind of get some plans in for twenty twenty three and do try and do some bigger things and be a bit more not consistent because we cover every game, but more maybe more shows in between games where we'll look at a. Uh, a transfer from recent seasons or like a, a story or, or things like we've done before and did the David Unsworth thing and like these different moments that have happened and do a bit more kind of stuff away from the, the routine of pre-match, post-match, pre-match, post-match. Um, so we'll try and do a bit more going forward. We got, I think we've got a good system now that we've kind of experienced what it's like to do the podcast without me, that you've stepped in as a, like I said, a, I'm not listening to any of the ones you've done, but you've stepped, in as, a, well. you've not, you've stepped in as a great host as far as I can see from the comments. There's no, there's nothing yeah. there saying get rid of John Townley. So, John, you, you've got the hosting gig. You and me will rotate. Matt and Ash can contribute. I mean, between the four of us, you could pick any kind of combination of us. And I think you get a good good show out of it. So, we'll try and be a bit more varied as we go throughout the year. Bring a few few different shows into the mix as well. We'll try and get some expire interviews back. Um, but, yeah, all that comes with the caveat that I am now a, a new father I have got more responsibilities away from from work that I can't just go. Oh yeah, let's just go down to Cornwall and film with four Villa heroes. As much as that was brilliant, I don't think I'll get away with that at the moment with a newborn. Um, but yeah, we'll try and do a bit more. Like I said, we'll be back into the swing of things from from next week, next uh, next Monday, and the next game is is Palace. Is it? Uh, so it'll definitely be a preview and a post match for Palace. But I'd like to think we'll do something. Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that, like a bit of a, a roundup of the season ahead, or I don't know, we'll work it out. Like I said, I've got a planning meeting with Matt, so let's see what comes out first. Uh, just a quick thank you everyone to everyone who sent messages over the last few weeks saying congratulations and those kind of things and uh, advice for, for babies. I, I've realised I've not replied to a lot of the ones I've had and I feel guilty for that. So this is, if you are watching and sent me a message, thank you for sending a message and being kind and, and things like that. I just haven't had the time to get around and physically reply to people. So count this as my uh, appreciation for that. Thanks to you, John, for this show and filling in over the last couple of weeks and to Matt and Ash as well. Um, thanks everyone for watching this episode I'm now going to go off and hopefully have a takeaway or something because we uh, haven't got anything in so I'm going to go and try and persuade the missus that we can have a takeaway because we've won, we've won this evening as well um, John thank you very much for joining me thanks everyone for watching thanks for all the kind comments we'll be back hopefully in the week if not we'll see you for Crystal Palace cheers everyone thank you for listening to Claret and Blue an Aston Villa podcast if you enjoyed today's episode then please let us know we love hearing your feedback we'll be back soon with another episode until then up the villa up the villa